2: I'm just glad you could join us today, and Eric Peters from Eric Peters Autos is my guest, as he is each Tuesday. Eric, great to catch up with you. It's the week after uh, the election. Great to be here,
1: Brian. How you doing? Uh, well, so much for Hopium, right?
2: <laughs> right? No, I look, I didn't really think I had pegged so much hope that, uh, you know, at least the juggernaut would be slowed down, but it's, yeah. it's pretty clear now, isn't it, that uh, no, nothing's going to slow this down at this point.
1: Yeah, and it was eminently predictable, wasn't it? You know, I don't know how we could have allowed ourselves to believe that the results would have been any different, uh, given that the same processes were in effect this time as they were back in 2020, including this business of uh, the counting of mass, unvetted absentee balloting and counting them a week after the election supposedly occurred. Uh, to believe that it wouldn't have turned out the way that it did, I think, is, is infantile and naive.
2: Yeah, it's uh, let's let's just get your take on uh, you know f- whether it's uh, at the local level or at the national level. What are some of the things you saw that uh, either confirmed what you suspected or maybe even surprised you?
1: Well, nothing really surprised me. Certainly at the national level, you know, we we saw every poll going in indicating that the Republicans were going to do pretty well, and uh, they did pretty freaking badly, didn't they? Uh, and that it doesn't make any sense. And one of the most telling stats that I came across was that prior to the election, uh, the betting houses, you know, there are entities that uh, take bets on the outcomes of elections, just as they do on the outcomes of sports games and so on. And so money is involved. And so they're very careful about uh, the odds making in that respect, because, you know, they're going to have to pay. And all of these odds making uh, entities, again, had predicted that the Republicans were going to do pretty well, particularly in states like Arizona. Um, and hmm, wouldn't you know it, Katie Hobbs is now the governor elect of that state. Yeah. So, you know, it's <laughs> nothing fishy that, at all. Know, really. There, one of two things is true as I see it. Maybe you can come up with a third alternative, but here are my two. The first is that uh, the system is rigged and thoroughly corrupt, uh, in which case we have little hope of redress. Uh, the second is that indeed a majority of the people of this country actually did vote for people like Fetterman, uh, Hochul, uh, Whitmer, and now Katie Hobbs, in which case, we have no redress, and it's over and we need to come to grips with that and figure out what our next move is going forward
2: no i i think it could be actually a combination of both i one takeaway that i did come away from from this election and and i, I spent a little bit of time grieving over this is after all the the governors for instance who locked down and just brutalized their their citizens in the wake of COVID, and as you know using COVID yep. as an excuse There was no pushback against them. They totally got away with it, which leads me to think okay, maybe freedom is really not that important to people after all.
1: Though, you know, I'll dissect that a little further. You know, DeSantis won handily, and DeSantis was pretty much the only major candidate for office that I'm aware of that did push back uh, against the masking, against the vaccinations, all of that stuff. And maybe for that reason, he did win handily, and maybe for just that reason, uh, Republicans elsewhere didn't do so well because uh, I don't, uh, I'm not aware that many of them um, talked about these issues and talked about the damage that was done by these blue state governors and these blue politicians uh, over the course of the so-called pandemic and made the case for freedom and liberty the way DeSantis did, uh, you know, in, in a very direct and articulate manner. You know, that may have been the linchpin that determined the outcome of these elections as much as potential voter fraud.
2: Well, and one thing that's very clear is in Florida they took steps to make sure that there was as little wiggle room as possible for manipulation of the vote. Um, you know, there, mm-hmm. it was paper ballots. You show up, you present ID. There, there was none of this drawn out. Let's mail it in. And, uh, you know, yep. d- suddenly ballots are being discovered. You know, they, they cut a lot of those uh, those shortcuts out that were used in 2020. And lo and behold, the places that kept them, well, that's where we saw the drama.
1: Sure. Right. And, you know, again, I hate to constantly uh, whack the orange pinata, but the reason that so many states have these processes uh, in place is because the orange man did nothing to prevent that from happening um, back in 2020. So we had all these states that adopted these new ballot measures where people could vote for weeks, months, even ahead of the election, uh, and that uh, mass absentee ballots would be collected and then wouldn't be verified prior to the counting. And looky do, what happened again? You know, that is the outrage here, I think, fundamentally. And maybe if there's any hope at all, and hopefully it's not opium, uh, enough people will come forward to say this isn't acceptable. Uh, in, in major countries like France, they they count paper ballots. And if France can do it, why can't we do it?
2: Amen. You know, Paul Craig Roberts, I, I've enjoyed his writing for a lot of years. There's sometimes lately where I feel like, well, you know, he's getting a little bit shrill and maybe maybe he's, yeah. uh, you know, kind of going off the rails. I think he nailed it, though, in his latest commentary that's published on Lou Rockwell today. He says, Mm -hmm. what we're seeing, but not recognizing, is there is a revolutionary dynamic that's unfolding. And and our our Mm -hmm. system of governance is being overthrown as in a revolution. And and the manipulation of the voting system and and seizing of it or or distorting of it is just
1: a part of that. He's correct. And uh, part of that revolutionary movement, I think, is the dawning awareness of people like you and I and tens of millions of other people, uh, you know, that we live in exactly those kinds of revolutionary conditions and that uh, legitimacy, the, the former uh, acceptance of most people, regardless of political affiliation, uh, Republicans and Democrats, agreed that the system was, you know, it had its flaws, but it was fundamentally legitimate. You know, we, we would complain about this and we would want to see that change, but there wasn't this great question of the fundamental legitimacy of the system and the processes by which it works. I think now there is a dawning awareness that the whole thing is just it's banana republic corrupt and and it's illegitimate. And that that illegitimacy leads uh, to a a general loss of of willingness to go along with it and to put up with it. And I think that's what we're going to see play out in the weeks and months ahead.
2: And one of the most telling symptoms, at least to me, is you're not allowed to question it you know it's it's not even a matter of well you have doubts about this you can't even bring it up if you say that i think it was rigged or i think the election was stolen you know you're a denier but yep. it's it's pretty clear the system is capable of being manipulated depending on who's doing the counting of the votes or how the votes are being tabulated and and in maricopa county in particular Talk about irregularities, voting machines that weren't working, ballots, for, and these were primarily Republican areas, ballots that, that were submitted, mm. but somehow they weren't yet counted, but they were put with the counted votes. I mean, it, it just, it sounds like somebody was was seriously monkey-wrenching the system.
1: No question. You know, or at least I wish we didn't have the question. I've, you and I have talked about this before, and I'll reiterate. I think people of goodwill, honest people, on uh, whatever side of the political spectrum that you fall on would like to know that things are on the up and up. You know, uh, whether your guy wins or loses, you want to know that it was fair and yep. that, indeed, the person did win the majority of the legitimate votes. I think anybody who has a problem with that, is, it should, their, their, their opinion should be automatically dismissed. They are, they are, if you can't question something and, and get an answer to a reasonable question, there's no question in my mind that they are trying to hide something from you and to shame you from asking the question because they're afraid of the truth.
2: So here's the $64,000 question I want to throw your direction. Mm-hmm. If, if we can't count on the system, and, and by we, I mean a growing number of Americans, like maybe half of the voting public. If we can't count, right. if our votes really don't seem to count for anything, then why should we put any faith in the system whatsoever?
1: Correct, exactly. And, you know, a point is arrived at, isn't it, I think, where you're no longer bound to play along by the rules. They don't, so why should we? And I mean that generally with regard to everything, which means we get to a point where you should do whatever you can do to protect yourself to the extent that you can uh, in a holding pattern until we can figure out a way to get out from under this this this, this completely corrupted um, system that we're forced to deal with.
2: I have a meme that I'm sharing in my show notes today, and it's, it's Danny DeVito from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. the meme simply says, when I see conservatives start to realize they can't vote their way out of this mess, here's Danny DeVito. May I interest you in a nice parallel economy in this trying time? And he's offering mm-hmm. counter-economics.
1: Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of it. Uh, another part of it, and this is the, really the tough one, isn't it? To figure out how do we disentangle ourselves, uh, physically disentangle ourselves, as well as politically. Uh, things are much more difficult now than they were in 1860, when at least you had Uh, roughly clear geographic lines that separated the parties, right? You know, you had the Mason-Dixon line. You had the South and the North. And while there were people in the North that were sympathetic to the South and there were people in the South that uh, were sympathetic to the North, generally speaking, you know, you had these clearly drawn lines. We don't have that anymore. You know, your next-door neighbor might be a woke leftist. Uh, You know, how do you get away from them? How do you do that? How do you separate physically as well as politically? And I think this is the big question of our times. And, you know, it's something I think about a lot. And I hope that we can figure out an answer to that question.
2: I think Tom Woods just released an ebook just uh, within the last couple of weeks. I know I, I actually signed up and got a copy in my email. And it's called National Divorce. And he yeah. says it's time to start yeah. talking about this subject that we're not supposed to ever bring up. But maybe it's time to broach the subject.
1: Of course it is. You know, I've talked with Tom about that. And he's absolutely right. You reach the point of irreconcilable differences. You try, you try, you try. But uh, a realization occurs at some point that no matter what you do, this is not going to work. And so the reasonable, rational solution is to go our separate ways. And so the question now becomes, how do we do that?
2: All right. We are talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. We've got to take a very quick break.
0: We'll be back to see the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Eric Peters from
2: ericpetersautos.com. If you look in the show notes, you will find a link directly to his website. Be well worth your time to spend some time there. Eric, I wanted to get your take on... uh, you know, it's, it's the, the season of death and sickness for the unvaccinated, mm-hmm. or at least I think it was this time last year. Um, <laughs> right. let, let's talk about what's happening in terms of hyping up the fears of respiratory viruses and vaccines and so forth. I know you, you did a recent column on vaccines as palliatives. What, what's your take there?
1: Yes. Well, you'll notice that uh, they've conceded that these things, these drugs that they've been marketing as vaccines clearly are not in that uh, they don't provide immunity. In other words, you can get and you can spread the uh, the virus that these things do not immunize against. So what they've done is change it around to, well, now it helps protect. So if you take this drug, supposedly, you won't get as sick. You won't go to the hospital. That's what they're saying. So that's what a palliative is. A palliative is something that you take after you have a problem, like an aspirin. If you have a headache, aspirins don't uh, uh, prevent headaches. They, they help get the headache to go away. Right. And it occurred to me that what they're doing with that is not just sort of a cover your butt thing. They're also doing it because I think their plan is to, going forward to push these so-called vaccines on people and particularly kids uh, as a as a measure that will help do things like, oh, it helps protect against obesity. It helps protect uh, against high cholesterol and high blood pressure, a literally endless array of things that it could help protect again. So they don't have to make a claim that, hey, you do this and you won't get you you take this and it will help protect you. Like, you know, buy wax, miracle wax product from late night TV, and it might help keep your finish looking really good for a long time. You know, there's this monetary incentive there that they're going to do here to to get these across to people. Uh, I think that that is deliberate. I don't think that they choose words randomly. I think they have very specific intent when they choose a particular word to hawk whatever it is they're trying to sell or cram down our throats.
2: Yeah, a friend actually sent me an article this morning. This is from Infowars about NBC News advising parents to keep kids away from unvaccinated individuals. and And my thought was, oh crap, here we go again. They're going to start up with the masks, and start up with the the mm-hmm. mandates and the distancing and so forth. And this time they can do it with impunity.
1: Yeah, now that now that they have secured their uh, power, sure. Uh, I've read somewhere, you may know about this, whether this is accurate or not, that. But- uh, they now recommend something like seventy different vaccines for children at this point
2: that sounds about right i know it's it 's it uh, 's a whole lot more than you and I were given when we grew up
1: yeah, we got what like three or four maybe well, you know from the time that we were uh, babies through adolescence and that was it uh yeah. yeah it's 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 astonishing you know everything now is uh uh about these vaccines, which of course are as they they admit now they're Their gene therapy, meaning they modify you in some way, and that gets back to this whole business of how they're going to try to cram down uh, the drugs to prevent things like childhood obesity, depression, because we can modify your genes so you won't get fat, or it'll help you not get fat, or help you not get high blood pressure. And, of course, all of this will end up being coercive. You know, you go to your doctor, you won't have a choice. If the doctor recommends whatever the heck it is and you don't do it, uh, then they are going to sick the apparatus of the state upon you. And who knows how they're going to do it, but that's clearly the intent. You know, they, they, will, they will make the case that if you don't listen to doctor's orders, that you're some kind of societal miscreant who's imposing costs on society and may even be a threat to our democracy. And you <laughs> know we can't have that.
2: No. Actually, another friend had sent me an article this morning that Pfizer is going to start uh, taking a closer look at its vaccine and uh, seeing about uh, any uh, links to myocarditis. And his, his comment, my friend's comment was, you would think they would have known that b- before this was released as safe <laughs> and effective, you know, to the sure. public.
1: Yeah, well, again, thank the orange man for that. You know, even leaving aside the, the malignity of Pfizer and all these other drug companies, by granting this emergency use authorization business, the usual protocols, or at least the historic protocols that had been in, in place, requiring that a drug be tested long term to establish that it indeed was safe before it was put on the market all of that got tossed out the window by the orange man and his warped speeding of these drugs onto the market with essentially no testing whatsoever so thank the orange man for that
2: yeah it's uh and i i'm not gonna we'll, we'll have to have the conversation about uh, the orange man and uh, whether his 15 minutes <laughs> it may be up or not uh another time yeah. I, I i am really concerned though that uh, with the the way that these elections have come out, I don't know if control of the house at the national level is, is going to uh, change hands, but it it seems pretty clear the, the people who are in power, the ones who abused power know they can do it and get away with it. So really there's not much standing in their way other than whether or not we give our consent.
1: Exactly. It's incredible in the old school meaning, like not credible to me that there was not a popular outrage or out uproar about the fact that in Arizona, the individual who was running for governor and who is now apparently the governor was also the secretary of state and so also in control of the election process that determined the outcome of the election in that state. I mean, how is that even possible? That is a, a metric, an indicator of the degree of banana republicanism that this country has slipped into.
2: Well, as I've often said through the years, isn't it great how that worked out for everyone? What a coincidence.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, why not put the fox in charge of taking care of the hen henhouse? I mean, literally, that's what it is.
2: Well, it, it really feels that way. And I know a lot of people, myself included, are starting to sit down and go, okay, so I, I'm going to have to really think about what's my next move. Where should I be focusing my energy? Where should I be focusing my attention? Let's talk a little bit about uh, what your thoughts are on politically. I don't think there's a whole lot that we're going to change. I think that, that uh, yep. die is pretty much cast. So let's, let's talk about what we can and maybe should do.
1: Well, definitely voting harder isn't going to solve this problem, is it? Um, At the very least, I think we can withhold consent from this corrupt system by insisting going forward. Uh, if we're going to have these elections, if we're even going to play patty cake and pretend that we must have a return uh, to in-person voting uh, with, with a handful of exceptions in extremists. You know, so, for example, if you're in the military and you're overseas and you literally cannot get to the ballot uh, balloting place on the day fine, that person can get uh, an absentee ballot. But otherwise, no. 99% of the people who vote should show up on election day. And those people who do show up, their, their ID should be checked. They should be required to prove that they have a right to vote. And then there should be some mechanism, whether it's paper ballots or some form of digital tying the vote to the, the person who voted something, that will enable a fair and honest recounting in the event there's any questions. And if that doesn't happen, why should we participate in this for all? And it's, it's embarrassing. To, to, it helps to legitimize it, in fact. And if we withhold that consent, at least we perhaps can 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 convey to the, a broader audience that this whole thing is completely illegitimate. And and by taking away the legitimacy of it, perhaps we'll be able to get something done.
2: I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. I know personally, I'm looking much closer at uh, family and uh, even neighborhood relationships. And, and solidifying those and just making sure that I am surrounding myself as much as possible with people that I can count on and who I would go to assistance at the drop of a hat. And likewise, they would come to my assistance at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where my focus is going to be rather than, you know, well, I guess I'll vote harder, you know, to see if I can, you know, get out of this mess.
1: No, that's very, very important because it may come down to that. You know, if, if things really do begin to get ugly. Uh, the only hope that we will have is uh, is our families, our communities, uh, banding together to uh, to ward that off to the extent that that's possible. I hope that it doesn't come to pass that that sort of uh, that sort of thing is necessary, but I, I'm not at all optimistic at this point that it won't be.
2: No, we're 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 in a tough place, and I'm not trying to assign blame so much as just acknowledge. Look, this is the reality, and we've got to deal with it as it is. But uh, looking to politicians for solutions, it's, it's just a non-starter. It's gonna, we're going to have to build something uh, parallel to it you know, and, and make them obsolete so that we can continue on with our lives, our liberty, and our pursuit of happiness.
1: Yeah, you know, the parallelism is a predicate, I think, or a prerequisite, if you will, to what I do think is, is long-term the only solution, and that is to figure out, what Tom said, uh, a way to have this national divorce. I, you know, I, I think it's... It's kind of silly to just think, as the basis of all our discussions, that the United States has to exist in its current form uh, as it has existed uh, forever. You know, it, That's nuts. That's uh, it no longer works. It no longer works for us. It no longer works for them. So let's figure out a way to make it work for everybody.
2: Eric, great to talk with you. Hope we can catch up again next week.
1: Me too, Brian.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just want
2: to give a quick shout out here to GarageDoorProservices.com. This is especially for my listeners in Southern Utah. It's a local company to you, and it is definitely the choice if you need a garage door installed, serviced, or repaired. Their garage doors are made in America. They offer offer insulated garage doors, among other things, as well as commercial service and residential service. Call them at 435-525-2773. Better still, go to their website, garagedoorproservices.com, and just see what their customers are saying about them. They've got a wonderful review section and lots and lots of glowing reviews. So... Isn't it astonishing how we're expected to believe that another set of remarkable election circumstances have miraculously allowed the Democrats to eke out wins in key Senate races? I find it remarkable, but, you know, again, I don't have a whole lot of emotional attachment to it, but it it does kind of indicate that the system is, uh, how can I put this nicely? It's not the same thing as saying, oh, the system is rigged, but the system is definitely playable. How's that sound, right? It it can be manipulated, and I I think it probably is being manipulated, at least in those states that haven't taken concrete efforts to head off potential manipulation or voter fraud. States like Florida, as, as one possible example. I've got a great essay here from Daisy Luther, the organic prepper. The title is, If Americans have lost faith in the election process, does the outcome really mean anything? She says, over the past six years, in particular, confidence in our election process has plummeted. Half the country said that they expected voter fraud in the midterm elections. Only 20% of those polled said they were very confident about our elections. Wow, only one in five? That's amazing. Now, much of this has to do with our politicians and our media who cast doubt on close elections before they even happen. They cry foul before the fouls occur. They scream at the top of their lungs if they lose. Somebody cheated. And despite popular mainstream opinion, it can't all be blamed on right-wing voters. Remember 2016? She says, actually, do you remember during the 2020 election when Mrs. Clinton, or the 2016 election when Mrs. Clinton refused to concede to Mr. Trump on election night? To this day, she still swears the election wasn't fair. Repeatedly calling Trump an illegitimate president and saying there was widespread understanding that this election in 2016 was not on the level. We still don't know what really happened. Now, despite the fact that the mainstream media blames Republicans and Trump supporters for the lack of faith that Americans feel about the process, going so far as to paint them as a threat to democracy, there are other factors at play. Daisy Luther says Clinton has also planted that seed and continues to fertilize it with suggestions like the one that Biden should not concede the election under any circumstances in 2020 had the election been called for Trump. And of course, this doozy, quote, right wing extremists already have a plan to steal the next presidential election and they're not making a secret of it. The right wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. End quote. Now, Clinton did nothing to show her leadership and try and calm things down when riots erupted after she lost the election. Instead, she stood silent. And in that silence is complicity. Now, of course, this isn't just a Clinton problem. However, it's a Democrat problem. In the history of the 2000s, they've disputed every single loss. Then there was the 2020 election. In the buildup of Trump versus Biden, the fears of voter suppression, dead people voting, voting machines going haywire, and ballot dumps ran rampant. This was fueled by both sides of the aisle. After Biden was announced as the winner, it was like an instant replay of the 2016 decision except for two primary differences. Trump was the one who said that the election was rigged and supporters didn't riot throughout the cities of America on election night. Now, this election was so strongly contested that the extreme protests did break out on January 6, 2022, when Biden's election was to be certified by Congress. Again, there was a major difference. People who participated in that event were called insurrectionists and still are to this day standing trial. Daisy Luther says, to my knowledge, nobody was prosecuted for property damage and violence that took place after the 2016 election. Now, of course, there was also a documentary made called 2000 Mules. This was made by Dinesh D'Souza. Here's the description of the film. 2000 Mules exposes a massive network of coordinated fraud across all five of the states that decided the election. This fraud was more than sufficient to change the outcome. The film uses two types of evidence. The first is geo tracking, which monitors the cell phone movements of mules or paid criminal traffickers delivering illegal ballots to mail drop in boxes, or to mail in drop boxes rather. It's a new technology used for the first time, but to bust a very old type of fraud. The second is video evidence obtained from the official surveillance cameras installed by the states themselves. The film takes you to the scene of the crime again and again and again. You can actually watch the criminals at work. And finally, this film decisively answers the most important question is who really won the 2020 election? This is a movie that documents the biggest heist in American history. Its goals are to reveal how it happened, who did it, and how to make sure that this never happens again. Now, Daisy Luther says, unsurprisingly, the mainstream media quickly began calling it the debunked conspiracy film and saying that it, too, was a threat to democracy. Watchdog groups suggested that the documentary might be a pretext for more restrictive voting laws in the future. Now, flash forward to today, before the 2022 midterms, politicians and pundits warn of election tampering. The most recent midterm election was one of the most hotly contested elections that Daisy Luther says she's ever watched. And she says in the midst of all that, there were more warnings about election fraud. Hillary Clinton wrote, quote, we are witnessing a concerted attempt to destabilize the democratic process and delegitimize our multiracial democracy carried out in full view of the American people. As Democrats, it's not enough to push back one law, one court case, or even one election at a time. We need to fundamentally change the way we think about and fight back against this blatant, sweeping effort. Oh, and she also concluded, given her ironically, given her response to the 2016 loss, When the people make their voices heard in an election, we should respect the results. These aren't partisan statements. They're attributes of a functioning democracy. End quote. Now, Donald Trump said on his Truth Social platform, same thing is happening with voter fraud as happened in 2020. Clark County, Nevada has a corrupt voting system. Be careful, Adam, as do many places in our soon-to-be third-world country. Arizona even said by the end of the week they want more time to cheat. He says Kerry Lake must win. They're saying about 20% of the so-called voting machines in Maricopa County are not counting the votes that have been placed in the machine. Only Republican areas? Wow! Trump says, Kerry Lake, Blake Masters, and all others are being greatly harmed by this disaster. Can't let this happen again. I believe Attorney General Mark Brnovich is on the case big time. He has a chance to be the biggest hero of them all, and at the same time, save our country from this cancer from within. The Democrats that run Pennsylvania have just stated that Pennsylvania may not have a final vote count for many days, and yet they use the very these very expensive machines for speed. Go to paper ballots. Same day voting must have voter ID. Problem solved. Also, big money saved. Now, Daisy Luther also talks about Stacey Abrams of Georgia, who went so far as to to go to court to have her last failed gubernatorial race overturned. Of course, she lost her suit, and then she lost again in her rematch against Governor Kemp in 2022. Daisy says, regardless of elections. It's really important that, you know, you focus on the important things outside of politics too, like, you know, taking care of your family, becoming more self-sufficient, etc. But she points this out to, to make the point that everyone seems convinced that the election system is flawed. The lack of trust in the election process, that's not just a right-wing thing, it's a left-wing thing, or even just a crazy uh, conspiracy theorist thing. It's, not, it's the whole damned bird, she says. Regardless of where you stand, it appears that almost everyone believes our election system is flawed. Both sides agree on this, but the sticking point is that both are accusing the others of doing the rigging. So she says, here's my question. If nobody believes that the results are valid, does it even matter who is said to have won? Sure, the person who's sworn into whatever office it happens to be will have the temporary power that comes with their new post. But if nobody except their supporters believes that they are there legitimately... How will they ever get things done? Remember, not my president? Well, that's escalated to a whole new level because nobody anywhere really trusts the system anymore. She says we have many reasons not to feel confident in our election process, our government, and our media. When we don't trust our elections, we don't trust each other. And if we can't figure out a way to work together, well, she says our very existence as a nation is at risk. If we feel like our voices don't count, what's to keep us continuing to try? It doesn't even matter if there actually are shenanigans afoot. If nobody accepts the outcome when their chosen candidate loses, our election process has failed. What's the point? She says, I don't have the answers. I just know the United States of America, we once knew, is gone. And then she asks, what will take its place? I don't think she's raising the flag of surrender, but I also think she's, she's taking a look at something that probably a lot of us are feeling and that is does it really matter if if the elections if the systems by which we hold our elections are manipulable to the point that uh, a predetermined outcome can be achieved I'm trying to be diplomatic in how I say this why does it really matter if you vote it really is just a reassurance ritual to let
0: you blow off a little steam you know until the next time this this is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Again,
2: a shout-out to uh, lifesavingfood.com, monticellocollege.org, and HSLAMO.com. All sponsors of this program. Links are provided, by the way, on my website, that's the show.com. Okay, three quick articles I want to touch base on here. One of them has to do with a uh, 2022 study of ivermectin that claims to show that the drug is useless for treating COVID. This was just released, I think, back at uh, the end of October. But Dr. John Hughes says, no, actually what this study shows is that modern medical research can be propaganda rather than science. And he does a very good job of explaining why this uh, this newly published effects of ivermectin versus placebo on time to sustained recovery and outpatients with mild to moderate COVID-19 shows the consequences of erosion of scientific integrity by both financial as well as political biases. Pretty interesting stuff. You know, here's here's the thing. If the ivermectin was actually causing harm, if it was causing more people to die, I could understand the medical establishment or doctors within the medical establishment stepping up and saying, hey, hey, we gotta stop this. People are actually taking something that's that's harming them. But they can't say that. But there was so many, there were so many moves, you know, especially when the vaccine was being pushed and mandated, well, you gotta have this, you gotta have this. It just seems pretty clear to me that the the putting off of ivermectin or dismissing it as, well, it's a horse dewormer, and I don't know why people would take it, when it's been used for years to treat things like, uh, was it, was that, uh, maybe I'm thinking of hydroxychloroquine, but both of them, you know, pushed off limits because people were were wanting to use them to address symptoms of, of COVID. Now, I know hydroxychloroquine has been used to address malaria, among other things, but my point is simply this. If a person, along with their doctor, decides this is the best course of action, and especially if, in accordance with the Hippocratic Oath, no harm is being done. How is that anybody's business but the patient and their doctors? And yet there were doctors who were being threatened with being stripped of their medical credentials. There were people who were being told, you cannot purchase this. I mean, there were states that actually took legal action to prevent people from accessing ivermectin. And I know this is totally anecdotal, but I know personally people including my wife who and myself, who, upon having symptoms last year, started on ivermectin and felt noticeable results within 24 hours, as in, our symptoms decreased by a good 90% within that time. Now, maybe that was all in our heads. I don't know. But the bottom line is the symptoms did decrease, which was kind of the point, Right. By what moral authority does the medical establishment step up and why has there been so much effort to keep people from even considering this? I still come back to the idea that I think that was done for the purpose of keeping any kind of alternative of being available so that they could keep the vaccine going under the uh, emergency use authorization that, uh, that was granted by the FDA. Because they can't do that if there is a reasonable alternative to the vaccine. In other words, I think they were monkeying around. I think they were they were trying to tip things in favor of nope, there's only one solution and it's the one that we're insisting that you get or be cast out of society. By the way, how'd that work out? Have we have we seen, you know, that uh, winter of death and sickness that uh, the president was promising a year ago? No, we've seen a lot of death and sickness, but you know what? It hasn't been among the unvaccinated. That's the elephant in the room. The unvaccinated are not dying. Whereas the vaccinated are not only still capable of getting and spreading COVID, but uh, they're also experiencing other things and, you know, myocarditis being among them. And then there's the whole sudden adult death syndrome that's popped up. Lots of unexplained deaths. Nobody wants to cop to what that could possibly be. But, gee, I don't know. What's been introduced on a mass level within the last couple of years that wasn't there before? It's not too hard to, to connect those dots or at least to wonder if there's something here. All right, another article I wanted to touch on here. Um, if you really want a great sense of deja vu uh, as as the 2022 midterms are laid to rest, I encourage, look at James Howard Kunstler's latest, The Aftermath and After That. And he's just, he is really good, not just about the, the election. And in fact, I wanted to share with you, in particular, one of the things that he was pointing out about uh, uh, the, the Arizona race, because I think that was actually called in favor of Katie Hobbs, who uh, just happened to be running the the whole uh, election apparatus. He says, w- w- this is why the Arizona governor's race, where the dynamic Kerry Lake, as a Republican, ran against the inert and corrupt D- Katie Hobbs, is so interesting. Maricopa County, the second largest elect- election district in the U.S., has dribbled out the results all week to make sure it looked like Ms. Lake was losing. While Democratic Party activists scramble to generate more early mail-in ballots to make sure that Ms. Lake does lose, if at all possible. Either way, he says, it may not go down so easily. If she wins, Ms. Lake will do everything possible to reform the sketchy Arizona election laws. If she loses, she is prepared to sue the living you-know-what out of Maricopa County election officials and Katie Hobbs whose position as Arizona Secretary of State left her in charge of an election she ran in and all the machinery behind it. So there we are. You know, the doubts that people have, I think, are well-grounded. And by the way, something he points out, too, he says, let's get something straight. The woked-up Jacobin party of chaos is not really worried about mis- and disinformation. What they are most afraid of is information. Information. Only a tyrannical regime would work so hard and complain so loudly about opposing ideas entering the public arena as to brand them as inadmissible. Apparently, that formula also applies to election results, the elemental kind of information bound to determine whether censorship will continue to be the order of the day or not. He touches on a number of other things going on. Well worth your time to take a look at his article. It's linked in my show notes at com. And finally... One of the strongest indicators that we're seeing of an attempted revolutionary overthrow of our system of governance is the growing assault on free speech. Andrea Woodberg says the left's newest stealth attack is taking direct aim at any opinions they don't like. She says America's two most important rights are free speech and the right to bear arms. Without the first, no people are free. And without the second, well, there is no first. So totalitarians always go after both. That is, they silence and disarm them. For decades, the left has been open in its war on the Second Amendment. They've struggled more with the war on speech, but they may have finally come up with a new approach that will sneak around constitutional muster. When it comes to speech that incites violence or is otherwise imminently threatening, the law has always been clear. The threat must be very explicit and imminent for the speech to lose its First Amendment protection. So, at the most simplistic level, saying, I wish so-and-so were dead, is not an actionable opinion. However, saying, I'm going to kill so-and-so this week, or you all need to kill so-and-so, I've got a plan, that is criminally actionable speech. Now, the standard is more sensitive, of course, when that speech is directed at the president. But she says, this constitutional limitation on making conservatives' political speech criminally actionable has, been, has long vexed the left... They've trained their young acolytes that speech is violence, so much so that almost half of college students say hate speech should get the death penalty. But so far, courts haven't fallen for that gambit. Unless speech creates an imminent threat, it gets a pass. Lately, though, they have come up with a new concept that seeks to say that any speech that opposes leftist policies is actual and imminent terrorism. Ah, there's a weasel word if there ever was one. In fact, leftist academia calls it stochastic terrorism. Christopher Rufo discusses the concept in an important City Journal essay. And he begins by revealing that he is identified as someone who is directly responsible for the attack on Paul Pelosi. And he says, you know, I browsed the news recently only to discover that according to a popular science magazine, I was responsible for the attempted murder of Paul Pelosi, husband to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. In an opinion piece for Scientific American, writer Bryn Nelson insinuated that my factual reporting on Drag Queen Story Hour was an example of stochastic terrorism, which he defines as ideologically driven hate speech that increases the likelihood of unpredictable acts of violence. On the night of the attack, Nelson argued, "I had appeared on Tucker Carlson tonight to discuss my reporting." And hours later, the alleged attacker, David DePape, radicalized by QAnon conspiracy theories about Democratic Satan-worshipping pedophiles, broke into the Pelosi residence and attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer. Now, Rufo points out he had absolutely no contact with DePape. He didn't target DePape with his communications, and it's highly unlikely DePape ever came across Chris Rufo's words. But according to Bryn Nelson. Rufo's in line of liability for inciting violence against Paul Pelosi through stochastic terrorism, of course. And there's a great explanation that's given here. But in other words, your opinions are terrorist threats that ideally should lead you to a long stint in federal prison. While my opinions may be more considerably violent and imminent than yours, but they're nevertheless the beneficiary of First Amendment protections... And although the left hasn't yet managed to criminalize stochastic terrorism, it's already using it successfully with help from the Department of Justice to silence speech that it doesn't like. The remedy here is not to go silent out of fear that you might be prosecuted. The
0: remedy is to speak the truth
2: clearly and boldly wherever possible.
1: This is The Brian Hyde Show.